91.3 WVKR, Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. You are tuned into Local Motion here. We're airing live each and every Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m., bringing you music of the Hudson Valley. We talk to musicians that live here, those that come here to perform, and those that come to record in our world-class area recording studios. And we just heard Calvary with Levon Helm and today's guest. And let's get him on the line. Byron, you there? I'm here. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Always a good start when I don't disconnect. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to do a brief intro, if I may, and just tell the listeners. Absolutely. Bassist, singer, songwriter, and producer Byron Isaacs has recorded and or performed with countless artists, including Joan Baez, Willie Nelson, Bruce Springsteen, Roseanne Cash, Jackson Brown, just to name a few. He's one of the founding members of the band Olabel. He's played in Levon Helm's legendary Midnight Ramble Band. Byron is part of the band Lost Leaders along with Peter Cole. He has toured and recorded with the Lumineers since 2015. Byron will be performing in the Hudson Valley on Friday, March 31 with Brian Mitchell and friends at Tinker Street Tavern in Woodstock, and he'll be part of the Helm Family Ramble at Levon Helm Studios the following night on Saturday, April 1. And with that, a warm welcome back to Local Motion, Byron Isaacs. Thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, it's always nice to have you, Byron. Always nice to have you. We always come up with a new story or two, and um, you're having (laughs) one heck of a beautiful career. Um, Just quickly, I mean, you've been on before, but maybe people don't know. I just like to always start with how you got into the music and how you started playing bass, and yours is a very cute story. I think you started on piano, and that just did not cut it for you. Well, it's I loved piano. It's just that the teacher that I had was super strict. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I you know, I've, <laughs> I'm, um, you know, I had an artistic temperament, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't, I did not want to play, you know, ding dong bell, mm-hmm. you know, or, or those silly songs that, um, that this teacher was making me play like the dumb bo- songs in the beginning of the book. Like I wanted to play, uh, more fun stuff. And I'd, I'd been playing like, um, picking out, like, uh, I was doing a very rudimentary version of the entertainer and Scott Joplin tune. Um, you know, pretty much just the melody. Uh, I didn't have any of the fancy stuff, but you know, I like, I was picking stuff out by ear and really into it. Uh, but this teacher was like, Nope, you're going to learn these, these silly songs and you're going to get your hand position just right. And she was almost one of those she, she wouldn't whack me with a ruler. I was going to ask you. But the you. way that I remember it, yeah, but the way that I remember it is the ruler was, uh, I, I know she never did actually hit me, but, uh, well, but it felt like that kind that's of stern, that stern thing. And this and was one time like I at, even went ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I went ahead in the book and I found a song that was cool. And so I, I worked that up and I came in and I was all excited. And she was like, no, that's for later. You got to go back to the beginning. And it's like, oh, and so I just stopped playing altogether. It just killed it. And this like, was six years old, play. right? You were six when this started? I was six, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so it was, I, I'd been playing the piano every day by ear. Mm-hmm. And uh, shortly after beginning lessons, I stopped playing it altogether. And then you started singing. So, yeah, so then I was in choirs. And uh, that was fun, you know, and, and kept my connection with music going um, until... Uh, 
until I was 15 years old, and I was at my uh, my sister's 10 years older than me, and she was already married. And um, I was at her uh, the, her place with her husband, and under their bed, you know, I was a Snoopy kid. Um, <laughs> there was this big long tweed case, you know, and I was like, "What's that?" And I pulled it out surreptitiously and flipped the latches and opened it up, and inside was this big old Fender Telecaster bass, and uh, it was the, just the coolest, biggest, craziest looking thing I'd ever seen, and I just fell in love. And I, you know, picked it up and started messing around on it. Of course, they walked in and they were, they weren't mad. They were charmed. And um, for my next birthday, my 16th birthday, they gave it to me. And you know, that is, that's like the greatest story. It's just so beautiful. And you're, you still have that base. I sure do. That's the base. Most of the pictures you see of me playing with Ola Bell, you'll see it. It's a big blonde Telecaster base. It's just like like a slab of wood. (laughs) <laughs> which it is. I wonder what happened. Yeah. What would have happened, Byron, if you didn't find that base under that bed? Who knows? You know, I, I might, you know, I might have made something to myself. I might be some accountant or something. <laughs> and miserably unhappy. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be so respectable. Yes. Think about that. Oh, I'd have a good haircut. You'd have That's a good, but, but Byron, you have all those things and you'd be so miserably unhappy. Oh. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Probably so. And then this bass. Oh my gosh! And then talk to me about what happened when you were in high school. What kind of music were you listening to when you were middle school, high school? Like the rest of us, radio. Well, so of course you know I started off like being really into the Beatles and Eagles and uh, and uh, Stevie Wonder and um, Billy Joel and like um, you know it's like the stuff that was on the radio that was just like, you know, blowing my mind and and my older siblings records from, you know, 10, 15 years before. And, uh, but, uh, I did, I had a friend, uh, in early high school who, uh, actually late middle school who, uh, got me into Metallica. Oh, and, uh, there was just something about, um, you know, early Metallica was just really raw mm-hmm. and I'd never heard anything like that. And it, uh, just, you know, I think like a lot of, you know, youth at that time in the, you know, in the eighties, um, that, that just, uh, turned my head around and really, really, uh, spoke to me in a certain way, like the, the visceral quality of it just like got me. Right. So, um, so I was, uh, I got really into Metallica and then, um, my friend Matt Pavolka, whose dad was a jazz musician, gave me a cassette, a Maxell 90, that had uh, a Charles Mingus record on bo- on either side, uh, different records. On one side, it was Charles Mingus presents Charles Mingus, and on the other side, it was Charles Mingus Blues and Roots. Whoa. And I'll never forget, I came home and I put that cassette on, and the sound coming out of the speakers was so wild and raw and uh, just blistering. And he was screaming over the top of this band that was just howling away. And I, my mother told me later that I, that I said out loud, this is like Metallica, but better. <laughs> and, and so I, from that moment on fell like headlong into jazz and, uh, so I joined the school jazz band and started playing upright bass and uh, played that through high school and then got into Indiana University's jazz program 
uh, on base. Uh, Byron, and, so um, this is this is unusual. I'm sure you know that to start in high school on an instrument like that and then already be accepted into a renowned university for performance just a few years later. Were you taking well, lessons? I'll, t- I'll say this. I was not taking lessons. I started lessons at, um, at, at, at Indiana University. I had a classical teacher. Uh, and then I actually was getting private jazz lessons uh, for a while with David Baker, the head of the department mm-hmm. uh, of the jazz department for a while. But um, but no, I, I hadn't had a single lesson. Unbelievable. But I will say this, you know, there's there's a thing that happens, um, you know, when you're when you're that age, you know, like in your in your mid teens is often when the, uh, you know, the aimless kid who just sort of seems not to have any direction suddenly gets a fire lit in them about something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can just take off so fast when that fire gets lit um, because, you know, it, it suddenly consumes you and suddenly your whole life has direction um, and meaning in this thing that just turns you on. And so I, uh, I had the benefit of that. It's just like the, the, the light turned on. So and cool. I had a so I had a destination. I had a I had I had a a path, and so I just went for it. You know, I was um, passionate, and so I, you know it, it didn't take long for me to um, catch up to uh, you know I, yeah. I, I, there were a lot of you know I knew a lot of people who are great musicians. I know a lot of people who are great musicians who did start lessons when they were young, mm-hmm. and they said that they plodded along kind of just doing it because their parents wanted them to and not really wanting to practice until suddenly at some point the light came on for them mm. and then it became their path. Right. And so I just skipped the first part. I love all. That. But really it's the same thing. Like any great musician at some point, whether they've been, been uh, practicing for years or they're new to it, uh, there's a certain point where just uh, the fire gets lit right. and suddenly it changes from just being something that they're, you know, like another after-school project that they have to do to their passion. Right, right. Um, and to get so, into Indiana, um, I mean, you obviously have to audition to get into a school like that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I did. I yeah. went over to um, to Professor Baker's house and uh, just played, he got on the piano and uh, we, we played some standards together. Wow. And... Um, and yeah, we played a few tunes, and then he's like, he stopped, and then he's like, "All right, level with me, Byron. How are your grades?" <laughs> <laughs> Meaning, how was my tri- my high school transcript? Right, right. You know, and I had to tell him it's like uh, pretty bad. I got to tell you, and he's like, "Okay, okay, that's all right. Well, right, you know, you, right. you did graduate, so <laughs> right, right. So we can get you into music school. Um, you yeah. went for what was your degree? What were you going to Indiana for? Music performance. It was a jazz performance degree. Jazz performance, um, yeah. but uh, but I never finished. Mm-hmm. I, uh, mm-hmm. My um, we moved to Indiana because uh, from Texas because my mom had gotten into a uh, PhD program at that university, not in the music school but uh, in the education department. And so, <clears throat> while I was in uh, you know finishing up high school and just getting into uh, my first year of college, she finished her coursework, and we had always been living on her um, student loans. Mm-hmm. And when your coursework is done, the loans stop. Mm-hmm. 
And she had her whole dissertation to do. She was going to need a year. And she needed to work at it full time. And suddenly it was like, oh, no, we don't have any income. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. We're, we're, you know, we're in trouble. So uh, that summer after my first year, um, uh, some of the other college you know, buddies of mine in the music school went off on a cruise ship together. Uh, and so I, you know, I joined him on the ship and was sending money home all summer. Mm-hmm. And then I came back to enroll again in the fall or to, you know, to, to rejoin the program. And, uh, but I enrolled in my classes and after a few weeks, it was just clear that I had to go out again, mm-hmm. that we just, we needed me to be working. So I withdrew from classes, went back out on, on the ship, sending money home. Uh, did that a few times, came back, tried to, you know, enroll in classes, was only there for a month, maybe had to go back out. And finally it just got silly. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, you know, and my, you know, after a while, my all my peers were about to graduate. I was getting, uh, quite an education of a different sort on mm-hmm. the cruise ship, you know, mm-hmm. just playing every night, playing, reading tons of charts. Yep. playing many different styles, just being in the job market, you know, really like it's, is yeah. an education in itself. Absolutely. Um, yep. And, uh, so I just stayed and you know, my mother got her dissertation and I was free at that point. Um, so to speak, but I went ahead and stayed for one more contract, saved that money for myself yep. and moved to New York with it. And moved to New York. So that was 94. So here's what I propose. Indiana mm-hmm. university should give you an honorary degree. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd I'm, be fun. I'm, I'll, wear, is, I'll wear the robe. Is David Baker still there? <laughs> no, David Baker passed oh. a number of years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I know. We lost the treasure. Yeah. Oh. If you weren't going to school for music, college for music, what do you think you may have gone to college for? Hmm. I was always interested in psychology. Mm-hmm. Probably would have done a psych degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, people who are slightly touched in the head like myself are, uh, you know, they, they make for good, uh, good therapists because, you know, they're uh, so, so interested in learning what makes their own crazy brain tick. Right. <laughs> right. And I think that's most of the human race, but um, yeah. Yeah. So, right. <laughs> so you moved to New York city and, yeah. The whole world opened up to you there. Was it, you had been to New York before then, yes? Yeah, just here and there, mm-hmm. a few times. You know, as, as a little kid, one time we drove up from Texas and saw some Broadway shows. I sort of vaguely remember seeing uh, Annie mm-hmm. on Broadway and um, a chorus line mm-hmm. on Broadway. This is like in the, um, this would have been mid 70s. Uh, so, you know, like f- maybe original cast on some of these, uh, saw death trap. Wow. Um, you know, yeah, I saw some really great classics, um, like when they were first run on Broadway. So you moved to was, New York and you must, what did you do? Go right out to like jazz clubs and just make connections? Yeah, I did some of that, but of course I had to get a, a day job. And mm-hmm. so I was working at the Strand bookstore, yep. um, which was, you know, just horrible. <laughs> really? But uh, oh my god, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a grueling job, and the um, there were a lot of groovy people though. 
Like I, I enjoyed a lot of my coworkers quite a bit, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a drag, mm-hmm. the drag of the job, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, especially when you're entry level, they've got you unloading trucks of books that come in. That's no fun. And then hauling them, you know, these, these big uh, boxes of books, which are heavy as hell, yeah. putting them in this freight elevator and you had to take them up to the warehouse on the fifth floor um, and then uh, process them and shrink wrap them and price them. And, you know, Byron, how long was, were you uh, there for? About a year. They, uh-huh. Made it about a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, then I worked at a rehearsal studio, but uh, I wasn't very good at that because I just didn't want to clean the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, you know, I would take the bookings and I would go like set up the room. I'd set up mics for people and, and that was fun because I got to, it was, it was a jazz um, rehearsal room. So I got to meet a lot of my heroes. Oh. I met Elvin Jones and McCoy Tyner and um, Elliot Goulding and uh, like all kinds of like fabulous uh, musicians came through there. So mm-hmm. uh, I met uh, Ron Carter there. I met uh, wow. um, uh, Eddie Gomez. I, I, I met some like just unbelievable folks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah the gig yeah. was okay, but I, I actually wasn't very good at it. I did get fired because um, because I, you know, I was sloughing off and not taking it seriously. And when my boss fired me, he said, he said, Byron, it's time for you to be playing music full time. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. so it was a pretty nice way to fire me. Right. And that was 1996. So I'd been in New York for two years at that point, and that was the last day job I ever had. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. You got a fire lit yeah. under your ass is what happened. That guy was That's like, right. yeah, come on, right. come on, Byron, but do also, what you're going to do. I mean, do. also, let's, let's be honest. I also, I was, I had a girlfriend. I was living with my girlfriend. Who is now your wife. Um, who is now my wife. That's yes. right. Yes. So, so really, like, the, the story of Byron Isaacs doesn't make, you know, it sounds like a fairy tale until you find out the actual secret, which is I was being bankrolled. Right. And supported right. by my uh, long-suffering, um, incredible uh, girl, a girlfriend, now wife, well, Jessica Hartshorn. And yours is you know, beautiful, really the, beautiful. The, the, whole, the, the one holding it all together for me in every way. I love that. And she's been with you every single step of the way. And it's beautiful how supportive. Yeah. No, you're, you're like yeah. you guys are one of those really beautiful couples that whenever I see you both, you're just it's obvious that you really have a deep love for each other. And it's just so heartwarming to see the two of you always. Oh. And she's at so oh, many of your great. gigs. That's and sweet. no, I, I just think you guys are a, a, an amazing couple that um, you should be um, commended and people would look up to you as a beautiful couple that you two are. So I just, um, I just think you're both fantastic. So, yeah. Thank so, you, Rita. so then you start and living with Jessica and she's like, okay, bye, mm-hmm. go get, uh, you know, go get some gigs here. So what were some mm-hmm. of the first gigs in New York that you did once you became that full-time musician in 96? Oh, well, the very first gig that I played was with a fantastic singer-songwriter who's still very active uh, named Teresa Serio. And, um, boy, she's just a powerhouse and a wonderful, wonderful writer, incredible singer, uh, and a great friend still. And um, and I was playing a lot with a uh, with a singer named uh, singer songwriter named David Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Um, David Raleigh did like you know he would write and uh, and perform his own you know pop music, which is great. But the gigs that I played with David 
were restaurant gigs and cabaret-style gigs. And uh, we we played at, um, we had a steady job uh, at uh, the Waldorf Astoria, mm-hmm. and he would play and sing old jazz standards, but then he'd also throw in his originals here and there. And he was a really dynamic and fun performer. But So we were doing, you know, kind of jazz sets, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but with a singer-songwriter. So that those were really fun. And those helped pay the bills. Right. And, uh, and I, you know, I had, I had just countless, countless bands at that time uh, in the late 90s. You played with 2000s. Mary Fall, too, didn't you? I did. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. Oh, man, that was fun. Wow, is she great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's, yeah. Yeah, and, that, that was really fun. That was, you know, I... I wish we had kept that band going longer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, like, yeah, she and I are still very good friends. And she, she's just, gosh, man, what a, what a talent. She's killer. She occasionally... And in that time... Mm-hmm. What's that? She occasionally comes oh, to Beacon. I... She does the town crier like once or twice a year. and um... Oh, I bet that's great. Yeah. 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 Now, yeah. when does, like, Ola Bell come together for you guys? Okay, so we all started, like, I was playing music with Glenn, maybe starting in 98 or 99, whenever he moved to New York. We met through um, through this incredible drummer named David Berger. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Berger and I also played together with uh, Fiona McBain. Mm-hmm. And um, Glenn, when he moved to New York, and, and knowing David Berger... We started playing together. Um, uh, Glenn was friends with Amy Helm from when they were both in um, New Orleans. Glenn to go to uh, Glenn was going to UNO at the time, studying with Ellis Marsalis, mm. and Amy was down there hanging with her dad, helping him get uh, Levon Helm's American Roadhouse mm-hmm. uh, going. Um, and so they became pals and did a lot of gigs together down in New Orleans. So when Glenn moved up and Amy had come back up. And so um, Ola Bell just sort of fell together. And uh, we all knew um, Jimmy Zhivago. Jimmy had been playing with uh, Mary Fall with us. With uh, So the, Mary's band was uh, Fiona, Glenn, David Berger, me, Jimmy Zhivago. And... Uh, we were also good pals with Tony Leone, who was playing with uh, other people at the same. Uh, actually, David Spaulding is our good friend, great guitar player, singer, songwriter, all from the 9C scene, um, this club that was on 9th and C, which at the time was sort of the um, epicenter of New York Americana. They weren't calling it Americana yet. They were kind of calling it, I think they were calling it Pulse Country is what they were calling it at the time. Mm-hmm. But it it was what they would soon start calling Americana. And uh, and so this whole scene was happening, and Olabel just sort of um, happened because the bartender, uh, Roger Williams, I think was his last name. Uh, God, I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Um, but Roger uh, wanted to do a uh, a gospel night on Sunday nights, 
And so he started calling it, um, he already had a poster made before he asked uh, Fiona to put together a band for it. But he's like, I want to do a gospel night. I want to call it Sunday School for Sinners. (laughs) And so that was the birth of Olabel. We were just, you know, it was was the bartender's whim. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. uh, and a good whim it was because it turned out to be a hot night. It was um, probably the... Uh, the biggest, the biggest buzz band um, I had ever been in up to that point oh. um, by by a long shot. Like uh, somehow this little gospel night became the thing to do if you were a young model or actor or uh, or whatever on the Lower East Side looking for a good time we're on a Sunday and, night. Uh, it was yeah on Sunday night it, and uh, I think it got got written up in either the voice or timeout or something and so it just like it got to be lines around the block to get into this tiny club it was insane and that happens to be when the owner of uh the magic shop uh recording studio Mm -hmm. incredible recording studio showed up and um offered to record us on spec Mm. and if all those things hadn't lined up there just never would have been an Ola Bell Mm. because we all had our other bands that we were doing Mm -hmm. um Wow. So, you know, we were, we took him up on it. We're like, ah, sure, we'll record it. I mean, it's fun. It's like, but, you know, really, this is just our side project. It's not barely even a project. You right. know, we're just right. <laughs> like uh, we have we have bands we're serious about now. Right. And who knew? Who knew? But, Sometimes when you yeah. don't look for it, it's right there. So you're in a recording studio and you're recording your album for Ola Bell and in walks somebody's man, somebody's dad. And uh, Amy's right. dad. So yeah, Amy's dad came by, and uh, and you know, here's where I get to admit to the um, to the radio world out there uh, that at the time I didn't know who Levon Helm was. I didn't know the music of the band yet. All I knew of the band was my mom telling me years before that Bob Dylan once had a band that he called the Band, <laughs> and she thought that was funny, and. Um, and so that, you know, I, I really didn't know anything about them except for that. So what I what I did ascertain, you know, when he came in, it's like, oh, yeah, Amy's dad used to play with Bob Dylan. That's really all I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone in the band, like, froze. They, they, they were starstruck. <laughs> they started acting so weird and uh, just stiff. And, and, uh, and, and I, I just thought it was... What's wrong with you guys? Like, come on, it's Amy's dad. Like, chill out. And uh, he was just as nice as could be. And um, and we met, we we talked him into playing with us. So Tony got up and started playing um, like uh, shakers, and he had this big um, cool tambourine thing, like a, a Brazilian tambourine that he was playing, and um, started playing along with with Levon now on the kit. And man, his groove was just so rad. I remember just um, we instantly hit it off, like uh, like musically, like right. we had the like we had the musical telepathy. Right. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. right away. And and also, it's a funny thing. Like we uh, we were playing around just with various things and discovered um, uh, we we played a shuffle on something. I'm not sure that it, that 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 ended up uh, on the like actually being recorded, but we jammed on a shuffle for a minute. And I always thought that my shuffle groove was, was wobbly and weird in this way that was wrong. I never quite could make my shuffle line up exactly right with other drummers. 
it just there was something I had a wobble in my in my uh, the, in the way that I felt it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I I just so I just would play. I wouldn't try to play the uh, the the greasy no, uh, you know in between notes of a shuffle. I would just play real straight, you know, bum 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 with most drummers. But with Levon, he felt it exactly like I did. I love it. And we we locked immediately into this groove that just was sublime. Mm. It was the first time I'd ever locked in with a drummer on a shuffle. Amazing. And we both just instantly, like, you know, it's like we recognized each other. Right. It was like, you know, it's like, oh, we're, uh, you know, we share some primordial DNA or something. Right. It's like, boom. Right. And that was like the moment. Like, we knew something really hot and special was happening. And uh, so I think, I think that's why he ended up tracking me down for his band later. Right. And didn't he, t- wasn't Amy pissed or something, Adam? Like, don't you steal our bassist? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. She, uh, she, she, she took him aside. Uh, she told me this years later. She took him aside and said, don't you steal my bass player. Right. 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 Now, most of the musicians I've talked to that were part of Levon's Midnight Ramble years, decade, or however much longer than it was, say um, those were the best 10 musical years of their lives. Um, I just had Larry and Teresa on a couple of weeks ago. Um, You know, anybody that I've talked to, and I think I've talked to almost anybody in that band. um, What were some of the special moments for you with the legendary Levon? I mean, you know, he had three Grammys during that time. He was sick he went yeah. i mean there was ups and downs during those years that you guys were all really a part of and you became family um give me some yeah. of the like big moments for you at the ramble do you remember your first one yeah it was one of the early ones um one of the you know i forget actually if I was at the very first one or the second one. Um, but uh, um, Dr. John was there, and um, uh, I, I think Hubert Sumlin, yeah, Hubert, Hubert Sumlin was there. Wow. I'm trying to remember some of the other folks. And then very shortly, like, because we started coming to every one of them that, that he was having, like, um, you know, Johnny Johnson, from, you know, who was, uh, you know, the the piano player in uh, Chuck Berry's band, mm. um, you know, uh, who actually, uh, it was Johnny Johnson's licks that Chuck Berry started playing on guitar that became the famous wow. Chuck Berry licks. They wow. were actually Johnny Johnson's licks on piano. Mm. <laughs> so, like, he's like one of the progenitors of rock and roll. Um, you got to play with him uh, at the Ramble. Uh, you know, Fathead Newman came by, like, just all these, like, unbelievable like um old titans right. of uh of rock and roll and blues and um and then uh when the word got out then we started getting the uh the more like the the, the, the bigger celebrity names coming like Elvis Costello and Amy Lou Harris and um Gillian Welch and David Rawlings and uh um Chris Christopherson and Amazing. uh Bob Weir and uh Phil Lesh and you know it's just like it it uh then we started getting, you know, bands like Mumford and Son came and did one. Yeah. Uh, uh, My Morning Jacket. Um, uh, it was, it just, 
it, it blew up into this incredible thing that nobody could have foreseen because of those, of course, those first ones um, were essentially rent parties mm -hmm. to save his house from the auction block mm -hmm. because his medical bills, um, you know, in it uh, saved his life, but it bankrupted him. Right. And so he's about to lose his house. And so, you know, and at the time that I met him, he couldn't sing yet because of all the radiation treatment on his vocal cords. Um, so, uh, you know, we, you know, never, ever, ever would we have, met, have imagined that this man that I met, and he was still so positive, he was playing such great drums, but he was really at the bottom. Mm -hmm. I met him at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I met him in a time of relative obscurity, really. Mm -hmm. It's like he wasn't the household name that he became. Right. Um, he was an old rock star that people had forgotten about and who had gotten sick and um, all the people that used to be around him when when uh, when he got sick just sort of dispersed, and he was mostly alone except for you know a few um, uh, loyal friends. Right, right, uh, right. Um, I also want to Jimmy Vivino being one of them. Oh my God, starting uh, the know, whole thing. Put yeah. together his first yeah, who put together the uh, the first Levon Helm band. You yep. know, after those first couple of rambles. Yep. So. Um, but, you know, it's like he scratched himself back from from the bottom. Right. And I got to sit there and watch this man come from rock bottom, essentially, to not only Grammy winner, uh, but uh, really becoming a, kind of a household name, mm -hmm. like uh, achieving legend status. Yeah. And being, being on the tip of everyone's tongue. Right. Not and just one now Grammy. Now you mentioned Levon Helm, yeah, everybody people know knows. who you're talking about. Absolutely. When I first was playing with him, nobody knew who he was. I would tell people I was playing with Levon Helm. They're like, huh, who's that? Right. And I'd have to explain, oh, well, you remember the band? You remember that? Take a load off Annie. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, well, he's the singer and drummer on that song. And they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, you know? and now everybody, then it's like... Only a few short late years later, it yep. was... Oh my God! You play with Levon Helm, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. No, you know, it's a hot so ticket. I, I had a first. Yeah, I had a first row seat to the uh, the biggest comeback uh, and in most incredible like third act. You most definitely history, did. You most definitely did. I also quickly want to mention that I talked to John Barry today and he said hello. And John oh. Barry wrote this incredible book. I was telling listeners about it during the four o'clock hour, Levon Helm Rock Roll Ramble, where he got the inside scoop because he followed him everywhere for quite a few years. Yes, he did. He was always there. Always there. And it's a it's a wonderful <laughs> book. He, was just, he would like find a corner and just like lurk. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, you'd look over there and like, oh, God, there's somebody standing there. Oh, it's John. It's just John. It's just John. <laughs> He's just a fly on the wall. And that's what he, he really did was. so yeah. well. That's what he did so uh -huh. well. So, yeah. So those years with Levon, just amazing. And and anybody, like I said, that has talked, I quickly, because I'm thinking of it right now, I want to talk about Clark Gaten real quick. Um, just oh, man. because yes. we all yes. need to tell people about, and I don't do GoFundMes, I don't, but I'm telling on air now because this one is yeah. concerning somebody's health quickly, like in a minute or two. Please tell us about Clark. Clark is one of the most astonishingly talented musicians I've ever known. Um, he, uh, you know, I met him just in some of those early rambles, um, you know, as the band was growing. 
Uh, and he just, you know, was uh, really seemed just like a really fun, loving guy who could just play the hell out of the trombone. And the more I got to know him, like I'd sometimes come early to the barn and he'd be there playing the most beautiful uh, piano music. Uh, he was just an incredible pianist. And then uh, they would, they'd need charts for, for something for the band. And Clark brought in the best charts. Like you could write horn charts like you couldn't believe. Um, he, uh, um, he had ears. You could hear anything. And through, through like some crazy cacophonous ocean of, uh, of sound, he could pick out, you know, he could exa- hear exactly who, uh, who had a wrong note and make sure that they fixed their chart, you know, or, uh, you know, he, he was, um, just, just such an ear, like mm-hmm. crazy musician, but, um, more so than all that, he was just so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I just loved being around him and everybody loved Clark. And he was so generous and gracious with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if if he were leading a horn section, he made sure to give give everyone else a solo before he took one. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I feel like I can barely scr- scratch the iceberg about how um, like what a what a talent Clark was. But I'll tell you this. Levon loves Clark maybe the most of anybody in the band. Really? And um, he saw Clark playing tambourine once, and he started making Clark come and stand by him and play tambourine, and he wanted to get where he was visible, Mm. where everybody could see Clark playing tambourine. And, of course, Clark has this natural uh, charisma. Mm -hmm. And so Clark, just his smile and the way he danced and could move his body – it just he's magnetic. Everybody wanted to watch that guy, right. and um, with Bruce Springsteen, like you know, he would play a solo, and it was just like all mm. eyes on Clark. When you know, I it see didn't matter who else when I see stage. Springsteen now on tour, I'm just heartbroken. You know, I know because Clark. I, I can only imagine. Been there. Like, you know, you know that Bruce is missing him. Oh gosh, how can you, you not know? be having having Clark in the band is having a warhead. Yeah. You know, you need your warheads in the band. Right. So often the warhead is, you know, the lead singer, then you'll have a guitar player usually who's the other warhead. And, you know, hopefully your drummer's a warhead. Well, so in Levon's band, of course, you know, Levon's drumming, wow, what right. a warhead. When he started opening up his mouth again and singing, holy shit, you right. know, galvanizing. Right. Right. Um, but you rarely get a trombone player who's a warhead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Clark Gayton, and actually Clark Gayton could be that no matter what he was playing. Right. You know, he's a killer tuba player, too. You know but, what? Uh, also, tambourine. He played tambourine, like all eyes on him. He's, you know, again, he's a vocalist, like a, like a too. He can sing. He can sing. He... I know, but you know what? I rarely got to hear him do yeah. that. Yeah. He, no. he had so many talents. That yeah. He was, uh, yeah. you know, not showing off. Right. He was not a show off. No. And man, could no. it? But he couldn't contain his uh, his charisma. Right. You right. know, he wouldn't even try to be at the center of attention. That wasn't his personality. No. But it's just he was just magnetic. So and I so just he was the center of attention. I he want was, you know. I want to tell listeners Clark Gayton had a stroke, and he yeah. is in a rehab facility, uh. 
and there's a GoFundMe page. And if you just go on internet or GoFundMe for Clark Gayton, anything you guys can give is blowing up, but we need it to keep blowing up because his long-term care is going to be very costly. And musicians aren't always yeah. that well insured. Um, so um, I just tell people, look for Clark Gayton, GoFundMe, and anything anybody can give, um, I know is helpful and appreciated by his sister and his family. And um, yeah, no, magnetic guy. Yeah, it's called the, um, the Clark Gayton Recovery Fund. There you go. And Gayton is spelled G-A-Y-T-O-N. Mm-hmm. And it's Clark without an E. So C-L-R- That's right. Yeah, C-L-A-R-K and then Gayton, G-A-Y-T-O-N, Clark Gayton Recovery yeah. Fund. So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. All right. So I wanted to get at there because, you know, you guys were bandmates for a really long time. Now let's talk about Lost Leaders. You guys, I understand, are working on some new music. I've been digging all your releases and, oh my God, such a great... I am calling you right now from the vocal booth at uh, at the recording studio right now where uh, uh, Peter is actually in the other room um comping vocals that we just did before i called you in love it so (laughs) i'm in the recording studio right now i love that and uh yeah yeah so we're gonna have new music uh we're 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 working on a whole full-length album beautiful Uh, five songs in the can Uh, i think we're uh this today i think is the sixth um i believe and when might it be released well Hopefully later this year. Mm-hmm. That's the, we're going to try to like really bang this out mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because you know it's time. <laughs> I welcome both of you back on. Yeah, um, when yeah. that happens, um, because yeah, no, it's so much fun. Do you have a name yet of the album or no? No, <laughs> not yet. I think when we have all the when we have all the songs, some of the songs still need to be written, mm-hmm. but we have a bunch of starts. I think once we have the whole pile, then we'll it'll become evident what the name has to be. Right. But yeah, as of now, no, we, we don't know. Okay. It'll be, um, you know, lost leaders and why not? Right, 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 <laughs> right. To be determined, TBD. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be fun. And you've got a mass of fans um, that I know is looking forward to any new product that you guys um you know, tease us out with. So hopefully you'll, you'll send out something and at least something soon and we'll be able to hear it. But um, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've enjoyed all your releases. So lost leaders, you and Peter, you've been together, what, like 25 years um, knowing each other at least. That's right. No, we started and we met playing jazz in the late nineties. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're jazz refugees together. And, um, (laughs) um, so also, of course, um, in 2015, you happened to get a really cool phone call that may have changed part of your life um, musically. Yep. Yeah. Changed everything. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. It was amazing. Yeah. That was uh, that was the Lumineers. Yeah. That was uh, Simon Felice uh, called me up to come into the studio. Man. And uh, and everything changed. Yeah. So I uh, have to have to shout out uh, Simon and um and you know and and to thank him in the biggest possible way for uh 
you know, it's opening opening that door and to a whole new world to me. A whole new world. So, you have traveled the yeah, world really. since, and um, you have major tours coming up. I know right now you're hunkering down doing Lost Leaders. You've got the show next Friday on the 31st at Tinker Street with Brian Mitchell and friends, and then you're doing another one of the Helm family rambles, but then you're going to go out and hit the road hard. That's right. Yeah. Trying to do it all. Yeah. Willie Nelson's 90th? <laughs> You're doing Willie Nelson's 90th birthday? Well, I have to be honest. Wesley and Jeremiah are going out, just the two of them. Oh, okay. That. Okay. So I'm not doing what, I'm not going to be at Willie's 90th. Okay. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it's killing me. I bet. I tell you, it's killing me. Don't they me. just need a <laughs> bass player there, too? <laughs> You know, if they need, a, you know, I, I guarantee you, you could throw a six and right. <laughs> hit 15, 15 amazing bass players right. at that event. Yeah, but still, there, yeah. there's no one like you, Byron. There's no one. Are you doing well, the Memphis Festival in NOLA? Yeah, we're going to do those. Yep. yep. And uh, Shaky Knees in Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, it's yep it's it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun festivals this year. Yeah, a whole lot of fun. And then you play with the Lumineers on May twenty seventh in Boston. Then you guys are jetting over to yeah. Ireland and Europe for a while. Yeah, for a little over, I guess, a month and a half. Wow. And and we're hitting another country I've never been to, and that is Turkey. We're going to play at Istanbul. Wow. On July twelfth. Wow. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I hear that is a remarkable city, Istanbul. Oh, man. Yes. I, I have I not been. I've heard incredible things. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I Neither hear. Wow. And just so listeners know, New York, if you're listening and you're in New York and you have two chances to see the Lumineers this summer, August um, at Jones Beach on August 18th. You guys will be there. And then at the Catbird Music Festival at Bethel Woods the next day, August 19th. Just go to Lumineers.com and you'll get info to those shows. I bet you have a lot of friends showing up at those. Oh, yeah. It'll be crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But (laughs) so much fun. Really, really fun. Yeah. 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 Now, David Barron is my guest next week, by the way. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Now, That'll be fun. God, pink, be fascinating. Pink. The pop artist Pink yes. came out with this new album. Yeah. Yeah, she did. And you're a little and part of a that. Song. I got to play on a Pink song. Amazing. Isn't that insane? Amazing. It's a, a Pink uh, Lumineers collab. And uh, I was lucky enough to, 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 to get to play bass on it. So it was fantastic. Really, really fun. I, Sounds great. Do you think there'll cool ever track. be any touring together or shows together, or is that maybe in the future some point? Or you don't I know? imagine what might happen would be that, you know, if she's in the same town or something, that uh, if we have a show, maybe she'd come and we could convince her to jump up on stage with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or maybe if Wes happens to be in a town where you know, she's got a show. Maybe she would drag him up onto stage to sing with her and her band. Um, probably something like that. I don't know. Like, you know, the big tour, the the way they book tours is so complicated. Right. Right. Um, and you know, I know that they have. Um, uh, yeah, 
I don't. I, I just. I can't answer that. I really don't know. Right. I, I think it would be really fun, but I can tell you that. Um, as far as all the plans that I've heard laid out so far, there's not any touring together right. yet. Yet. You know. Right. Right. And listen, I mean, with the I'll dates... tell you if if that if that track turned into some runaway hit, um, then they. That would necessitate it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And with both touring schedules that both bands have, I mean, to connect in one spot is going to be something. But you never know. I mean, it, it right. could happen. It could happen. Um, you as Olabel also got together this year. Any more happening with Olabel for the future? We have been in talks about uh, our next record. So that we're uh, we're dancing around each other, trying to find the time uh, that we can all get together and uh, and make that a reality. But I think love it. Um, you know, we're we all have the itch now. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, th- I think it's going to happen. Uh, you know, regardless. Just a matter of uh, time. At some point now, yeah, it has to happen. Right, you know? right. Now you're yeah. also producing the marvelous and powerfully talented Alexis P. Suter. Tell me about. How you got oh, to be producing man. that? Woo! Yeah, <laughs> you know, I almost fell over when she asked me to do it. I I couldn't believe it. I I was so honored, so thrilled, uh-huh. and also daunted because I was like, you know, man, they've got they've made some really good recordings, mm-hmm. and and you know, I knew, I felt the weight of responsibility for doing right by an artist of that, that much, with that much power and nuance and artistry, you know, Mm -hmm. um, uh, she is a force, right? A true, like, um, and, um, so, you know, I actually, I, I had to take a few beats before I said yes, Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I was, uh, I wanted to make sure that I really thought I could do a good job. Mm-hmm. I, she deserves a good job. I mean, mm-hmm. she deserves she deserves the best job, oh. you know. I, and uh, I was going to be damned if I was going to, you know, be responsible for a like a less than amazing Alexis P. Suter album like that. You know, like uh, I want to see Alexis uh, in everybody's earbuds. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I think that. The world, the world, um, <laughs> the world may not deserve Alexis, but th- th- it should have her. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I um, is the album you know, completed? I, uh, no, no, no. We're uh, no, we're maybe a third of the way mm-hmm. into it, mm-hmm. and uh, it's so much fun. My God, it's mm. just I, you know, I. <laughs> I was kind of thinking about giving you a little sneak, but I realized I just really shouldn't do that. Oh, yes, you should. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were going to say that. Uh, but, yeah, I um, know, I know, I know. Um, but whenever you know, but, uh, whenever you guys uh, do, I mean, I'll definitely have Alexis on, too, when she releases this new music and yeah. all of that. And, um, I mean, seeing her perform is like going to church, you know, you just. Oh, whew. man. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, better than going to church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, and you know, she and her band were there at the in the early rambles. Mm-hmm. Like she helped mm-hmm. build that whole scene. She and Vicky Bell and Ray Grapone. Yeah. And um, you know they uh, they were right there. 
like helping make that whole thing happen. And, um, you know, that's, that's when I became a huge fan. And, uh, and so, you know, in a lot of ways right now, I feel like a lot of, um, a lot of the different time periods that were most meaningful in my life are all converging, Mm -hmm. uh, in a new and really exciting and, uh, fundamentally, um, fulfilling way. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, I'm just really just grateful that I can be in the, in the studio with, with Alexis P. Suter (laughs) and, uh, and Ray and Vicky, and then come into the studio the next day with, um, with Peter Mm -hmm. and work on lost leaders and, uh, and then go play a ramble. Right. And a and a and a show with Brian Mitchell. Yeah. And uh, you know, and um and hopefully be doing an Olabel record soon. Right. And uh it's just um Byron, you must be well, pinching it, yourself a lot. I am. It's um <laughs> I my my cup overfloweth. Yeah. What can I say? Yeah. You yeah. know, I I can't express the gratitude that I have. Your um gratitude shows you wear it on your sleeve. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. And everyone I know loves you. you, And everyone I know couldn't be happier for you. And everything that you've done. And and it's just, it's beautiful watching you on social media. Again, Byron Isaacs, the Byron Isaacs. You can follow him on uh, Insta, (laughs) Facebook, and, and also your website. But it's just really beautiful to watch and to thoroughly watch you enjoy yourself is is the best part of all um i do have to cut it because i do have a song i gotta play and my show is over in four minutes so but i do want to say i want to say that march 31st which is a week from friday you will be at the tinker street tavern part of the bearsville theater complex with brian mitchell and friends how much fun is that going to be oh it's going to be crazy it's going to be amazing yeah and tiny little place everyone dances it's just going to be really, really fun. Fun, fun. And then April 1st, the following night, you will be at Levon Helm Studio. You'll be back home at the Helm, right. Helm Family Ramble. So you've done a few of them. They've kind of changed it up a little bit. They're now called Helm mm-hmm. Family Ramble, and you've been a part of the first couple of them. So how lovely that is that you got to be part of that and you'll be there for april 1st too so tickets if they're still available you could check leaveonhelm.com but byron it is an absolute pleasure i you know every time i talk with you i can't wait to hear your new music i'm going to go out with long way down and um great yeah great video of that too of you guys on on youtube oh right on yeah yeah did i miss anything can did, did i miss anything not that I can think of. I think you you were very thorough. It was wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it's As always usual. always fun talking with you, Byron. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you and your bride. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. It's it's a joy to watch you. Thank you, Rita. Safe travels, and I'll see you next week. I look forward to it. All right. Me too, Byron. Have a good night. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 913 WVKR Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. That does it for the show. Byron Isaacs, our guest today. If you missed that or part of it, you can always check the YouTube channel tonight. I'll be uploading our conversation 
Just check out Local Motion on 91.3 WVKR. You can look for me on YouTube as well as Facebook. Next week, my guest will be David Barron. Lots to talk about him with him in a couple of weeks, two weeks upstate. Martin Sexton is coming, Annalise and Ryan and Lee Falco. Lots of great lineup coming up this spring. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We're going to play a minute or two of the track by Lost Leaders, and this one's called Long Way Down. Until next week, I wish you peace. No wind in the cedars, no tracks in the snow, just the wine of German wheels on the old Dutch road. Subwoofer pounding, trickling over the hills into the sleeping town below. It's a long way down. Came a fighting for air Hyenas hustling for the lion's share By God, someday you'll own this town Now all the faces turn as you grew College, this is WVKR-FM Poughkeepsie